thanks to everybody who has joined us uh, for another uh, edition of our church revitalization workshop. This is now, gosh, let's see, October, November, January. This is our fourth, I guess, workshop. Um, my name is Doug Ressler. I am the senior pastor down in uh, Parker, Colorado, which is south and east of Denver at a church called uh, Pepsi is kind of how we call it, Parker Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Joining me uh, on our panel are uh, three other folks from around the country and even out of the country. We got Mike Wright, who is at Littleton Christian Church here in the Denver area as well. We've got Bryn McPhail, who is um, at St. Andrew's Kirk in the Bahamas. And we got John Mabry, who is down in Louisiana, a Covenant uh, Presbyterian Church. And uh, glad to have these guys. Um, we're going to be talking about the revitalization of the session today, kind of part two of a conversation we began last time. Uh, for those of you who maybe weren't at the first couple of workshops, we started with the, this conversation with the revitalization of the pastor and talking about how the pastor stays revitalized in this whole work of church revitalization. Um, and then last month, we moved to the revitalization of the session. It is our conviction that uh, you can't lead people where you have not been yourself. So if you are going to lead church revitalization, why you got to you got to be revitalized yourself. And so again, that begins with the pastor, then the pastor and the session do that together. And together they become kind of the engine of church, uh, of, of real spiritual vitality in the local congregation. And um, again, that's our, that's our conviction is that the, as the session goes, so goes the local church when it comes to this whole uh, conversation. Before we dive in today, I want to ask Dean Weaver just to say hello and welcome everybody. We're glad to have our brother with us, the new stated clerk. Uh, Dean, uh, and, and feel free to share any of your thoughts, Dean, but why don't you give your give your welcome? Glad to have you. Thanks, Doug. Uh, how much time do you want me to maintain so that I, I'm, I'm a good behave myself here? Well, if you could talk for a couple hours, you'd make Bryn, Mike, and John and I's job real easy. We'd be done. So. <laughs> That's not usually a problem. It's no, more just, a the... few, just a few minutes, Dean, if you could just share a few minutes, that'd be great. Sure. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, hi to everybody and uh, grateful for you all to gather in this way. I can't think of a more critical, crucial thing to be doing uh, right now. Um, I don't know how many of you have been reading up. I'm, I've been listening to every podcast Carrie Newhoff has. I've been, uh, I just, I'm just started canoeing the mountains with Paul Singer. I'm sure a lot of you have been trying to figure out what does it look like for me to pastor in the midst of what is a historic disruption in, in all of the world, let alone the Western world, let alone the church. Um, and uh, we're coming into unprecedented times. There's just no two ways about that. Mm -hmm. And what the kind of conversations you're having here are the kind of conversations that I need to be listening in on, learning from you and figuring out how to help us as a, um, a fellowship of churches mm -hmm. Um, be healthy and, and, and move forward with healthy congregations coming out of this. Um, I have a pretty clear sense that what is coming on the other side of this isn't going to look like anything we've ever seen before. Um, I think we all sense that. We've all experienced that. Um, I just concluded pastoring at Memorial Park Church, where I was for 15 years in the North Hills of Pittsburgh, but it's been 35 years of pastoral ministry. And this last year, um, in some ways was the most invigorating, but also the most exhausting, depleting, um, at some points the most challenging uh, that I've ever experienced in 35 years of pastoral ministry. Um, the pivot that we would have to make so quickly, so rapidly, which is not the way the church is accustomed to working, and the kind of decisions that usually brought criticism from both sides, whether it was the cultural moment that we were in, the political turmoil that we were in, 
uh, or whether to wear masks or no masks. It was just coming uh, at, from every angle and it seemed like the best decisions which had to be made quickly oftentimes came with um, getting an onslaught from every angle. And that takes its toll. And as I've been meeting with and talking with and listening to pastors all around the country, um, the idea of um, your health, behavioral, spiritual, emotional health, the church's health. And I had no idea you guys were talking about like session uh, revitalization. That's like one of my, that's one of my um, sacred areas that I love to talk about. So I, I, I will have to try to restrain myself from, from jumping into that, but it's something I care about deeply. And in 15 years at Memorial Park, really feel like um, God helped me to do that pretty well. Uh, the, the elders uh, at Memorial Park are some of the best, healthiest uh, partners in ministry I could have ever possibly imagined. Um, so it was a little bit, uh, um, there's some grieving for me in, in leaving that. I'm a pastor. Um, and so I, I'm already missing that uh, deeply. Um, but I'm also trying to find my new way uh, in this position. Jeff has been exceedingly gracious in, in providing space for me um, to start living into my gifts uh, mm -hmm. as a leader, um, but also transitioning over to me this wealth of deposited uh, experience that he has so that I can hopefully help us lead well into these uncharted territories. The metaphor I'm using is Joshua. Um, I feel like, you know, this summer's General Assembly will, our 41st, means we will have been a denomination for 40 years. And God forms and shapes for himself a people in a period of 40 years to then take them by faith across torrented waters against fortified ideologies in a land filled with giants um, to occupy a land that is both his promise and his inheritance to us. And I think where we're going in this post-Christian, post-modern, post-COVID culture is a land that we've never been to before. And it's going to require faithful leaders to step into those waters, hearing the voice of the Lord, knowing that he who has gone before us is faithful. And um, the chance that I get to walk with you support you, encourage you, pray for you, advocate for you. Um, honestly, it's the greatest gift of my life. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm deeply, deeply honored to walk that path with you. So thank you for the time, unexpected and a gift. Thank you, Doug. You bet, Dean. Dean. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. And, um, you know, Dean, it will break out into breakout rooms. And as you feel appropriate, I'll just let whatever breakout room you're in, if you want to jump in and join the conversation, that would be great from your wealth of experience. So, hey, just to recap a little bit about where we were last time, kind of where we left off, we talked, because, because our conviction is that the session is really the engine of spiritual vitality in the local church, we talked about that that doesn't happen by accident. You really have to shape your life around that idea. Of course, the Book of Orders says that the first job of a session is to seek the mind of Christ. And so um, it's not to manage the programs of the church. It's not to run the organization. It's not to oversee staff, although those those things are all very important. The first priority is to seek the mind of Christ together. And so how you shape your life together, whether it's your agenda, whether it's you do a, an annual retreat, your meetings, your one-on-ones, whatever that looks like. And we shared each of us kind of how that looks like in our own contexts. And I've had some follow-up conversations with some of you, and those have been great just to talk through again, how do you transition? How do you move in that direction or more in that direction? Uh, we can keep those conversations going. We're happy to help with that. That's where we kind of focused last time. How do you shape your life together as a session? But even, even in that, we recognize that there's a whole process, or as Bryn likes to say, process that begins 
uh, that begins really lot much earlier. And that is, how do you establish a leadership pipeline in your church so that when the nomination cycle comes around, you actually have a pool of, of elders who are, are elder, potential elders who are ready to step up and, and take the reins, uh, men and women that have been discipled and encouraged along the way. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to break down today into sort of three broad categories. We're going to talk about the leadership pipeline, how to establish it, what it looks like. Uh, Bryn will share a little bit about that, what that looks like in, in St. Andrew's Kirk. I'll share a little bit about what that looks like at Pepsi. Then we're going to have a breakout room. We'll talk about how, you know, dialogue a little bit about how to do that. Then we're going to move to the second um, talk, which will be around nomination process. How do you set that up in a way that it yields the kinds of elder candidates that, you know, we, we hope um, that we, we want to have for our churches. Mike's going to share a little bit about what that looks like at Littleton Christian and how they pursue that. And then finally, we'll talk about training, elder training. And John Mabry is going to share a little bit about what that looks like at Covenant. I will say that Brian Smith from the GA office just shared with me that they are expecting um, the new shipment of the, of, the, of, the, of the newly updated leadership guide at the General Assembly office this week. So be looking for that maybe in the next couple of weeks to come out and be available for you to grab for your elders. If you've not used that um, guide, that's a tremendous resource. I'm sure John will reference that or I'll reference that at the in our final session. But just to kind of get us kicked off here, um, let's talk about leadership pipeline. Bren, do you want to share with us a little bit about how you think about a leadership pipeline, maybe what that is, number one, and then how you guys do that at St. Andrew's Kirk? Okay. Thanks, Doug. And, and our situation is very unique, and, and I don't think I'm, I'm overstating that, in, in that we are the only EPC church on our island. And granted, our island is 22 by 6 miles in dimension, so we cannot depend on fish switching tanks to fill our leadership voids. Uh, our leadership pipeline has to come from within. And, and just to give you a little context, some of you have heard this from me before, our congregation is 211 years old this year. And part of what's significant about that, or part of what's unusual about that, is in 211 years of ministry in the Bahamas, this church has never been served by a called Bahamian pastor. Hmm. So leadership pipeline is not in our strong suit in terms of our track record. It has always been the custom of the church to bring in an American, uh, a Scot, or in this instance, a crazy Canuck, and hoping that you know one of these uh, guys will, will set things right. Um, well, if I've done anything, what I've done is, is shown that we need to work from within, and that my goal is for my successor uh, to be a Bahamian from within our congregation. And, and so I've just extended that. So it's become a part of our culture. So uh, whether we're talking about raising up Sunday school teachers, deacons or elders or future pastors, uh, we talk a lot about succession. And, and so one of the mechanisms, and, and this is a very old ancient mechanism, I'm sure Dean Kerry Newhoff never talks about this in his podcast, but we do the traditional district lists, but we do them with great intentionality. Every single elders meeting, 
we take time to talk about the persons on our district list who are elevating in their commitment, who are engaging and leaning into their faith, who are showing leadership promise. And it's a part of our monthly rhythm is to talk about future leaders. I regularly look around the session table and the deacons table, and I look people in the eye and I say, who is going to replace you? We all need to discern who will take our place at the table. We need to pray about that, and then we need to work towards that. Uh, I'm fond of saying there's no leadership pipeline without discipleship. There's no leadership pipeline without discipleship. So it's not enough for us to have district lists as if that was some magic thing, but we have very intentional discipleship groups, not just small group Bible studies where 10 to 20 people come and learn the scriptures, not just a prayer meeting, but intense discipleship groupings. Uh, for the men, these are called Life on Life, based on Randy Pope's book, Insourcing, probably familiar to some of you. For the women, it's a group called Proximity, which has NODLA relationships. NODLA stands for No One Does Life Alone. And for us, the, the two keys for the leadership pipeline are intense discipleship, intentional discipleship, but also making succession and mentoring a part of the every month rhythm. Uh, so much so uh, that we actually have a fund in our congregation called the 2023 Fund. And it's based on, they say, they say in the working world, don't dress for the job you have, dress for the job you want. And so what we talk about at St. Andrew's Kirk is let's talk about the church we want to be. And so we've, we've imagined together a church in 2023, what it would look like, what the leaders would be, that what the programs and the mission would be. And we're literally putting aside resources today uh, to help us. So why would you ever want to have this kind of a leadership pipeline? And, and I'm sure the nomination procedures you're going to hear later on are going to be outstanding. At St. Andrew's Kirk, it's a breeze because we talk about next generation leaders every month. When it comes time to nominate, it's a very quick process. Um, if I told you, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we can nominate our next elders in 30 minutes or less at a meeting. We can nominate our next deacons 30 minutes or less in the next meeting. And the reason is because we've been praying and thinking and talking and discipling so regularly that when it comes time to tap somebody on the shoulder, it comes very easily to us. Um, I could say more, but I, I, I think Doug will wave me off and say, Bryn, you've got a breakout room to say more. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really good, Bryn. And just to layer into that, you know, I would say something similar at Pepsi that we've done. When I first got here almost 12 years ago, the elders basically crafted my job description to say, basically, they wanted me to do three primary things. I've got other secondary responsibilities, obviously, too. But obviously, the first one is to preach and to teach and to cast a vision. Secondly, was to disciple our elders. We talked about that last time, how I meet with our elders individually on a regular basis uh, just to do life on life so that we they get discipled by me over the course of three and six years, depending on how long they serve. The third thing they wanted me to do was as, as potential elders are identified, they asked me and my wife 
to be a part of the mentoring team to really intentionally pour into them to get them ready and prep spiritually to take on the role of an elder. You know, it's kind of like an athlete. They want to be at their peak condition right before the game. You know, it's the same thing. That's how we think about our elders. We want our folks to be at peak spiritual condition before they come on the board so they can hit the hit the ground running uh, in terms of just seeking the mind of Christ and fitting right in, slotting right into what we're already doing. We don't want to have to take time to have to do remedial work if we can avoid that. We want to really establish that pipeline, get that thing running, get those folks kind of in the pool, so to speak. And then our nomination process selects those folks that God has called and even if they never get called an el- to be an elder, of course, they can serve in a variety of other capacities and leadership in the church. And it just seeds the church constantly with leaders who are spiritually mature and who've been discipled. And that that's the deal there. So we're going to move into our first breakout room. You got about 25 minutes. Um, here's the question to kind of ponder and, and dialogue over. Is there a mechanism for leadership development in your church? Uh, how effective is it? Why or why not? Um, or maybe take it out one step even more broadly, how are you raising up the next generation of leadership in your church? And generation, don't think age specific, just think kind of the next, the next iteration of leadership. How are you doing that? What's the, what's the intentional process that you are engaging in to do that? So Brian, why don't you send us out to our breakout rooms and we'll come back in about 25 minutes. All right, looks like we are all back in, I think. So welcome back. It's great to have you. Uh, Hopefully you had a good first breakout talking through leadership development, the leadership pipeline in the church, and um, just encourage you to continue those conversations. Uh, We're going to turn now to talking about the nominating process um, and what that looks like. And so I'm going to ask our brother, Mike Wright, uh, again, if you've got your mics, uh, as you come back in, go ahead and mute yourselves if you can. But um, Mike, why don't you share a little bit about what the nomination process looks like at Littleton Christian Church? Maybe describe your church a little bit, too, for those who maybe are new with us, that kind of thing, so people get a little bit of a sense of your context. Go ahead there, brother. Sure. Thanks, Doug. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, I was, you know, I, in preparation for this, I pulled out the uh, the book of order to make sure that my nominating process was legal <laughs> before uh, before we got into. Now, we don't want anybody brought up on charges uh, yeah. during this session. All right, yeah. that's not the goal here. So Dean is listening. So um, the great the great news is that the congregation may nominate and elect its ruling elders by any procedure it desires to establish. Uh, so. Here's a little bit of context of our, our church. Um, we are we essentially replanted our church uh, about 11 years ago. Uh, nope, 12 years ago now. And uh, before that, the church the church before that was you know 13 years old. And uh, in the midst of that, we so we we have you know together sort of a 25 year history. Uh, and we have had sort of surprising stability during that time in terms of relationships, um, the type of people that God has brought into this church, um, the, you know, a lot of different ways. And in other ways, we've had a lot of uh, instability. You could say we're stable, but we're not institutionalized. Um, and so uh, with a guideline like this in the book of order, the risk that you run if Mike Wright is your pastor is you're gonna try different things. You know, you're gonna keep throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. 
So here's what is stuck for us. Uh, early on, our, our nominating process didn't exist. It was, uh, oh shoot, um, this person's ready to rotate off of session and I guess we need someone else. So let's scramble and figure this process out. Um, that wasn't great. Uh, and in fact, um, that was related to a whole bunch of other situations where we were burning people out. Uh, being on session was sort of your exit plan from the church. And once people finished session, they, they were fried and left the church. Um, maybe some of you know what that's like. So we started in a number of different ways. What we wanted was to create a culture that celebrated the elders, that, that, that honored the idea of being elders, a culture that, um, uh, uh, that really had leadership development. So this is part of our leadership pipeline process. One part of that is we started making elders a lot more involved in our weekly worship, our, our weekly services. Elders do prayers, they share little testimonies, they share five minute devotions, they call for the giving, um, they do the assurance of pardon. That's, that's uh, the, the fixed thing that they do. Uh, so that was one thing that we did. We started bringing the session more visible in terms of the life of the church. We tried a few different ways to do nomination. And a few years ago, um, what we developed is we decided to make one month out of the year an overt nomination month. And uh, the reason that we do that is it gives us a time where every year we have several weeks in a row where we are teaching the entire congregation about eldership, about biblical eldership, about leadership qualities. So we're doing sort of leadership development broadly uh, through teaching, through announcements, through emails, that kind of stuff. And after a number of years, um, we're starting to see some momentum in terms of people are developing an eye for looking for leaders all year round because leadership, elder nomination month is coming. Um, COVID kind of threw that off. It, it used to be March. <laughs> uh, last March wasn't a great time to nominate. Um, so that was one thing that we do. Uh, another thing that's pretty important for us is in our, uh, our election process, we stepped up the intensity of the election process in order to publicize how important this role is in the life of our church. So we do it a lot like a presbytery examines somebody for ordination. When a, when a, uh, a person has been nominated, first they meet with me, we talk about the role. Then they come and meet with session. And uh, this is all, of course, assuming that they're continually interested in it. Uh, I give them all sorts of stuff to read. You know, I, I give them the book of order. I give them the leadership training guide. I give them uh, Westminster. I encourage them to read it. We meet to talk through any questions or challenges they have. Then they come and meet with session and the session examines them theologically, examines them in terms of their personal life. It's, it's a pretty intense examination. And then we do the same thing with the whole congregation. And, um, and people get to ask these potential elders any question they want about their personal life, about their marriage, about their beliefs, about their commitment to, to the church, their hopes for the church. Um, and we've had all sorts of questions get asked there. Uh, but by implementing a, a more intense examination, that I have seen uh, create some momentum in our church in terms of the, uh, what we expect of our leaders, the quality of, of people who are stepping forward uh, to be elders. 
so those are some of the things that we have implemented. Uh, so the elders examine people, they recommend, and then the congregation uh, votes. So that's how, that's how our nomination process works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and let me just tag what Mike uh, said. One of the things that Mike said that I think is so important is that, um, it, you know, at least in my estimation, the goal of the nomination process, again, is not just to fill a slot. It's actually to raise up a spiritual leader for your church. And in order for people to lead your church spiritually, they have to be known. They really do. They need to be known. Now, Mike's church. Mike, how big is your church? How big is Littleton Christian for those who uh, don't? These days, a, a normal Sunday, we have 80 people. Right. Sunday. Okay. So Mike's, Mike's serving at a, at a smaller church. My church is, is fairly large. And so people don't necessarily know everybody at my church. So one of the things about our nomination process that's key is making sure that our elders, uh, our elders elect, those who are being brought through that nomination process are known. So they have a chance to share their testimony with the congregation. They have a chance to share, um, you know, who they are on some level. Uh, once, once they are elected, one of the things that they need to do um, after that election, you know, after their installation is we have them share in, in worship about just how God is at work in their life right now. The things that God is working on. They, they are, we require them to be vulnerable before the congregation so that the congregation gets a sense this is a real person leading us. Not some, you know, perfect spiritual hero. It doesn't, that's not, that's not who we elected as elder. Like our elders are real people and they have real issues and God is working on those real issues. And they, we require them to be vulnerable and to share their weaknesses and how God is strengthening them. And, and that has been a real valuable part of the process is that our elders become known. And as they become known, they become trusted. And so when they make then the kinds of decisions that Dean was referencing earlier about how challenging it is in this season, right? You kind of get attacked from all sides and all that kind of stuff. Well, one of the, one of the only ways that I know how to sort of navigate all of that is, is your congregation has to trust you. And the more trust they have in you, the less, the less, you know, rocks they're going to throw, frankly, on some level. Right. And so if you're, if your elders are not known they're not people that are known to be spiritual leaders. They're not really known at all. Maybe people don't know who they are, that kind of thing. Like that can be a real challenge then for them to lead, especially in controversial decisions or tough times or whatever it may be that, you know, is required of them. So I think part of the nomination process is not just thinking of it as I got to fill a slot, but more as, as we do this nomination process, how do we, how do we get to the, our goal, which is to create on some level, a, a new spiritual leader for our church? And how do we help set that person up for successful spiritual leadership for the next three years or six years? How, how do we set the table for them so that they, they can be in, in a position to really make decisions on behalf of our body that people can trust? Um, organizations move at the speed of trust. That's, a, that's Stephen Covey, but I mean, I, I fully believe that. I buy into that 100%. And so, and you can only trust those who you know. So again, your elders must be known on some level. And that's what I love what Mike is talking about there, that examination where you can ask questions and really get to the heart of who they are. And boy, I tell you what, putting elders in front of the congregation, that's really intense. That's more intense than our process at Pepsi, but I love it. I think it's exciting. And so I want to encourage you to think about that. We're going to move into our, uh, again, 25-minute breakout session. So um, we'll head out, head out over there. One of the questions to kind of ponder and pray over is, what is the goal of your nomination process at your church? And, and, and what's the process that you are, have you put in place to reach that goal? And do you think it's effective? Why or why not? Um, so go ahead and give some dialogue around that and we'll see you on the other side.
All right. Well, welcome back. Um, again, hopefully that was some great conversation in your breakout room. I know we got pretty deep into the nominating process and all of those kinds of things. And so um, just encourage you to keep thinking about it because uh, so much of what the end product, right, that you end up with as an elder is is a result of the process that we take to get there. You know, it's it's a uh, it's like the old business adage, right? It goes something along the lines of like we, you know, all systems are sort of perfectly designed to yield the product that they actually are designed to yield, or whatever it might be. And so you think about that from a nominating nominating process, uh, you know, end of things. And if you have a process set up to yield a particular kind of elder, that's probably what you're going to get. And so reshaping that. One other thing we talked about in my breakout group, which I think is, is important for us to kind of note, because I know some people, you might feel stuck, you might be hearing a lot of what we're talking about and think, gosh, how am I ever going to get from here to there? How am I going to like, what's my first move? Like all of those kinds of things. And it can be challenging and probably overwhelming on some level to hear this and to think about your first step. Um, I would say look for catalyt catalytic moments you know, uh, and I think this COVID season is one of those, but in our breakout room, we one, one person was sharing about like how their move from the PCUSA to the EPC was like a catalytic moment that allowed them to kind of reshape how they train their elders and how they nominate their elders. And they ratcheted the bar way up from what it had been and, and that that's really worked for them. And I, I think that's exciting. And I just, I think those there's there are those opportunities along the way that just life and ministry create, where you find yourself in a situation where the leadership that you have established simply isn't enough to meet the moment. And everybody kind of recognizes it. And then that gives you the opportunity to say, okay, so then what would it look like to create a process that would yield the kind of leader that would match the moment in that respect? You know, And so obviously in this COVID moment, right, we're, we're, we're all wrestling and struggling on some level with you know, leadership in this unprecedented time, there's no playbook for this. So we're making it up as we go along. And, and so post COVID, what's that going to look like? And can this be a, a catalytic moment in the life of your church where everybody kind of goes, okay, the way we've been doing things ain't going to work anymore. We got to change some stuff up. And, and how do you lead that conversation? Well, not in a way that dishonors the past. That's not what we're talking about, but just honors it, but also recognizes that it's inadequate in terms of facing the future. And so I just would encourage that, um, keep wrestling with that. Um, we're gonna talk now about training. Once you get um, a pipeline established, you got your pool of potential elders and your nominating process has nominated them. And you know, you've got your elders elect now identified, whatever that looks like. How do you train them? How do you equip them to take on the role um, that you need to take on in your church. And John Mabry is going to share a little bit about how they do that at Covenant. And John, as you get started, I'm going to ask you to do what I asked Mike and kind of Brenda do. Tell us about your church a little bit, kind of the, how big your church is. Give us a sense of the context you're working in. So those of us who uh, don't know can kind of get a sense of that as you then go on to, you know, how you train your elders. Okay. Um, Covenant Presbyterian Church in Monroe came into the PCA in 2010. That would be the EPC, right? Not the PCA. Just, just oh, oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was distracted. I was distracted. Came out of the PCUSA into the EPC in 2010. I was not the transitional dismissal pastor, but um, I was the first EPC pastor that uh, was called to serve here. Uh, Monroe is... Uh, city of about 50,000 um, in a larger context of mm, 100 and, 150,000. 
um, pre-COVID, we're, we're a, a church of 250 members. Uh, that is individual adults, if you count them like active members um, individually, 250 pre-COVID attendance, about averaging about to 200 on the Lord's Day. Um, we are served by uh, two pastors. I'm now an associate pastor because I did a transition succession flip-flop with uh, Jonathan Wagner, who previously was my associate for about six years. And um, we flipped and he is now the senior and I'm his associate. Um, and I just uh, celebrated my 37th anniversary as an ordained uh, minister. Um, and so, I, and, I, and in terms of training, I'm doing the training section se session because Doug asked me to do that. And um, I, I continue to tweak it. It's, it's still an evolving process after 37 years. And so I, I don't think that I have uh, reached a perf perfect system, but just for purposes of conversation, our, um, our training uh, usually takes place over about eight or nine weeks. Um, and um, we, so you can tell if we're doing it in eight or nine weeks, we don't work through the leadership training manual chapter by chapter. I think that's a, it's a, it's a great resource. If somebody does that, actually, I'd, I'd really like to hear more about that but um, it can be used as an, uh, supplement, kind of a supplemental or aug augmenting um, resource. But um, what we do is uh, the first week, we, I will cover the, the ordination vows. One of, one of my great goals in the ordination process, uh, the training process is that when these elders and deacons elect stand before the congregation and take these very substantive vows, of ordination and installation, when they say, I do, I want them to know what they're saying, I do, too. Um, and so um, uh, we, we are always uh, previewing the ordination vows, and we begin with uh, looking at the biblical overview of the offices of elder and deacon. So we do Bible study. What is the biblical uh, what do we read about elders and deacons in the Bible? And we begin with elders in ancient Israel and work, work our way into uh, the New Testament and show the link of uh, elders in the old, elders in the new, and then deacons arising in the new. We spend uh, a, a couple of weeks trying our best to get um, a, a, a major overview of the of the system of doctrine in the Westminster Confession of Faith. So, um, as our uh, ordinands are affirming the the uh, system of doctrine, the biblical system of doctrine taught in the Confession and Catechisms, I want to make sure that they have a, a pretty good grasp of what that is. So, for example, this last time around, I just I decided, okay, every week I want the um, elder and deacon nominees every week as part of their homework to read the shorter catechism. Hmm. So, I mean, by the time they'd finished it, they read it eight times and come with, okay, where did you get hung up? What did you not get? Or what was a new insight? And have some conversation about that. Um now, that wasn't in-depth 
for eight weeks, but it was just a check-in and making sure that they are familiar with the, the shorter catechism, which is a pretty good summary of the system of doctrine in, in the confession. Of course, we touch on pretty heavily the solas of the Reformation and, you know, tulip and, and, and all of that. Um, we spend, uh, but we spend at least two or three weeks in terms of theology, but we're always reading the shorter catechism and letting people touch base week by week. Um, we do a week on reformed worship and sacraments. Um, we do, I, I want, I want the officers of the church to understand why do we, why do we worship the way that we do? And we happen to be a, uh, a congregation of historic uh, Calvinistic worship, and it has a, a you know an order of liturgy, and so. But it, I really want people to have a grasp of what that is, why that is. Why, I didn't make it up. We don't make it up as we go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they have a, a deeper, richer appreciation for that, and could communicate that or teach it to others. Then we spend a week on reformation, uh, reform, uh, reformation, and Presbyterian history which turns out to be, once you get into American Presbyterian colonial and then American Presbyterian history, one of the favorites of all, because all the light bulbs then go off about uh, the constitution and the, you know, the form of government and our national constitutional government, et cetera. You all know all about that stuff. And then we touch on basics of Presbyterian polity. And all along the way, the other thing that we're doing is I'm, I am prompting them to write their personal statement of faith. And I found it very helpful, Doug, I know I'm almost near my end of my time. I found it very helpful just to prompt them week by week, write a paragraph about a memory when you first gave serious consideration to the gospel. Write a paragraph, then the next week, who were some of the most influential people in your um, spiritual journey? Who are they? How were they influential? Um, have you ever, then the next week, have you ever been through a season in your life in which you sense that the Holy Spirit was particularly at work in your life or when you were going through a very terrible spiritually dry period in your life? And, and, and other prompting questions like that week by week, so then that at the end, they've got all the pieces of a puzzle that they can put together, you know, they can rewrite it and weave it all together, or that they, they can put the little parts together as a whole for their personal statement of faith. And I found that to be a little bit more helpful than just asking somebody, go write your statement of faith. I don't know. But so we do that piece by piece by piece, and then we share it. And at the exam, when, when, when each of the um, officers are sharing their personal statements of faith, you all know how that is. I mean, it's one of the most spiritually bonding move, uh, moments, because you know what? We're all in the same story, and the main character of everybody's story is the same main character, as you know, and, uh, and so we all have this connecting point with Jesus because we're all sharing his story. And that's just been a wonderful, um, it, it just with, without fail. I mean, it's just a, a moment of spiritual epiphany 
And it, it's really a bonding moment for all the officers in that class. So I'm over time, but- <laughs> uh, No, that's great. I mean, John, John, that is fantastic. I love the idea of a concrete sort of outcome to the training process, not just verbal, but something that will endure as the elders really are trained to articulate their faith. You know, one of the key, one of the things I do outside of my day job here is, is I teach down at Denver Seminary. I teach on evangelism and the mission of God. That's the class I teach. Teach it once a year. And one of the one of the things that I find is that um, you know so many folks don't have an ability to really articulate their faith. Yeah. And certainly our spiritual leaders, the ones who are leading the congregation, they should have an ease. It should be a familiar kind of language, right, to them to be able to share their faith with others. And so even a process like John's talking about, again, depending on where you're at in all of this, like, like helping your leaders develop a language around how they share their faith, how they understand their faith, how they can articulate it. Again, we can only lead people as far as we've gone ourselves. And so if, if you have you know, elders who don't really know how to articulate their faith, well, then you're going to have a congregation that really struggles to articulate their faith. And that, that's a key component to this. Again, just like we've talked about, if you have a, con a session that's not revitalized, well, they're not going to be able to lead a congregation in a revitalization. That's just not going to happen. So, um, so I want to encourage you to really tag that, um, what John just shared last time. And maybe, John, what I'll ask you to do, if you could, if you could send John maybe a list of those questions that you asked to help them shape their state statements of faith, maybe Brian from the GA office can send that out to everybody that's on this mailing list and you guys can kind of have those questions and maybe that can help shape and form some, some things, some conversations in your own context. And Brian, I hope you can be able to do that for us. Um, we're going to go into our last breakout session. It's going to be a little bit shorter. Brian, I'm going to ask you to bring us back about 3.55 for just a couple of closing comments before we're finished today. Um, and uh, so we'll jump into our breakout sessions as we go. Again, just tagging off of what John just said. What's your goal for the training process? You know, what, what is it you're equipping your spiritual leaders for? What kinds of challenges do you face in your particular context that you know you're going to need spiritual leaders to be speaking into and leading? Um, let's have some conversation around that. Uh, I know that'll be unique to everybody, and we'll, we'll kind of finish up uh, there today. All right, so let's go into our breakout rooms. All right. Um, thanks for uh, joining us today. We're going to kind of close out just uh, our breakout room kind of at the end there started talking about the importance of prayer. Um, as you think about, you know, don't lose sight of that as you think about, again, raising up training, finding these these uh, new elders, these spiritual leaders for your context. And, um, you know, I, one of the things I do want to just continue to we've said this before, but it's worth saying again, uh, every context, every church is unique. There is not a one-size-fits-all. There's not one program. I mean, you've heard different things from John, Mike, Bryn, myself, but there is not a one-size-fits-all to this. There's no silver bullet to this, friends. It's really about doing the hard work of seeking the mind of Christ as, as, an, elder, as an elder body. And if you're looking for a resource on how to do that, one I offered my own uh, breakout room was this resource that I've been going through with my elders called Waiting on God by Andrew Murray. Just a 31-day devotional that really walks you through what does it mean to wait on the Lord. Of course, there's a million verses in Scripture that talk about that. How do you do that together? What does it mean to wait on His presence, right? Because ultimately, He's the one that's got to lead and guide us into spiritual vitality. Without Him, 
we can be vitalized, but it ain't going to be spiritual vitality. It might be other vitalities that we don't want any part of. So just offer that as a closing comment. We'll come back next time and we'll start talking about vitality in the congregation. So we've talked about the pastor now and vitality there. We've talked about the vitality of the session. Next, The next couple of workshops are going to focus on the vitality of the congregation. Um, and our same crew will be back uh, to share a little bit about what that looks like and what we've learned in our own context. Again, just hope this is valuable time. If you if you ever need to get a hold of any of us, feel free to email me at Doug at PepsiPC.org. I will hook you up or connect you with John, Bryn, Mike, no problem. Uh, we're happy to have conversations in between these sessions and chat with you. I've chatted with a few of you already. Um, I know the other guys have as well. Happy to do that. Whatever way we can serve you. We just know that these uh, these are long-term discussions that that uh, it's going to take a, a it's going to take a journey. These are not things that are going to happen overnight. So if we can encourage you or your sessions along the way, we want to be a part of that. So just let us know. Let me close this with a word of prayer, friends, and then we'll exit for today. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for these dear friends. Thank you for these dear partners in ministry, whatever churches they serve, God. I pray just your blessing upon them, that you would lead and guide them, Lord, and that they would find ways to sit in your presence and listen to your spirit as you speak. Um, and as you speak those words of life and those words of truth and those words of love, God, into their hearts, God, that those words that we need, that really we crave, God, that really bring us life. Uh, Lord, you tell us in your word that your son is life um, and life abundant and following him is the only pathway, God, to this life that we desire. So, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to that walk. And thank you again for this time. Thank you for these friends. Just pray your blessing on them now in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, friends. God bless.